0: You are listening to S.P.N., the Sports Podcasting Network. Game. Set. Podcast. On the Sports Podcasting Network.
1: You seem at home on the court.
0: Let's say that I've played a role.
1: And welcome to Game Set Podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins along with Kevin Laramie. It's been a little bit of time, Kevin, since we were last on. We were talking together about the Australian Open when we last spoke on this show. Lots have happened, but we're going to focus on Indian Wells and some of the controversy that's coming out of that. But before I do any of that, Kevin, how are things down your way?
0: I'm doing great, Dwayne, today. Probably a lot, a lot better than Milos. So at least there's that. Uh, whoa, what a tournament for Milos, what a game for Djokovic in that final. A lot of things that has happened as well since the Australian Open. We talked about Maria Sharapova and the Meldonium and the scandal. We talked about this on the Five Rings Podcast. So if you're interested in knowing what Meldonium, what does it do, what type of substance of compound, and what actually is the benefits, the the effects of Meldonium, just go to the Five Rings Podcast of last week to get your 101 on Meldonium.
1: Yeah, we're not going to dwell on that too much because there's been more juicy stories that have happened since. <laughs> Talk about yesterday. Yeah, and, uh, but uh, but before we do that, let's start, Kevin, uh, talking about the tournament itself. And, and I want to focus on the loser of the final because A, we're Canadian, yes, but B, I think he, in many ways, outside of the final, his strong run, I'm talking about Willis Rodin, obviously, uh, his run to the final was, was quite remarkable. He continues to improve every game. That said... Djokovic is a step too far I'm at this far for him at this point in his career or there's maybe a mental block there I'm not sure because certainly to lose 2-0 or 2-love in in the final was, it was not something that I was expecting after watching Milos just run through the tournament Kevin but uh no. just your, your thoughts on, on Milos's run
0: I think the way you mentioned run through the tournament is the best way to explain Milos' result in that tournament he was a 12 seed heading into the tournament in uh, California, Indian Wells. And yes, we all know Milos Vranić has one of the best serve on the circuit and has had great success in 2014 in those tournaments, Indian Wells, but never reached quite a stage like that final. In this tournament, he was not even bothered before being in the final. And then Djokovic decided to just be Djokovic, play one of the best game I've ever seen. And he did not even play well in the second set, according to him. He was like, well, I started the match pretty good. 6-2. I was Good first set. But second set, I wasn't necessarily the, the type of play that I would have liked. And you can tell in Milos Raonic's voice when he was doing the post-game commentaries, the press conference that you uh, was available on YouTube, that Milos Raonic said, yeah, yeah, well, Djokovic is the best player on the planet, and it was showing on the court today. And that probably says it all, that there's a gap between number one and number two, in the rest, and that gap is quite quite large,
1: yeah yeah i I as we've said on other shows both here and and in our other shows on the network, I, I just think that this guy right now is clearly the best player in the world, maybe maybe playing at a level that no other tennis player has ever played at, and the mental game is so strong too. I found it interesting in his post match comments not that every player doesn't do this but you could just tell in his preparations for for his opponent's games how detailed they go in he's talking about specific shots and specific games and he has a you know a photographic memory of that and talking about what he does to combat the strengths of the other players you can tell that that step is something that uh, that he's at a different level at. and i'm talking with Djokovic, obviously here just his preparation his ability to understand the game to remember the game just say the, the ability amazes me to uh to remember, remember a specific shot from a specific game like off the top of your head, right, Kevin?
0: Well, no, exactly. And especially when we're looking at Milos right now, Dwayne. We'll take an example that's easy for our listeners to understand. Remember in the Australian Open when we were talking about Milos' great play when he was in that run, he made a couple of passing forehand but on an angle that just touched the line on the other side of the net before going out and making a point. Well, Djokovic noticed that improvement in Raonic's shot and was placed exactly the right spot to just kill the ball, finish the point and get the point right there at a couple of occasions, especially in the first set, that destroyed the mental of Milos. That destroyed the confidence of that shot that Milos have gained since the beginning of the season. And in one set, in one basically point, Djokovic just took that away from Milos. And it's it's interesting how his positioning on the court is literally taking defeat underneath the ground and even defeat of the opposition of him.
1: Yeah. And just just to finish the thought, I mean, let's before we move to the women's side and I'll get your thoughts. I know you have some thoughts there. <laughs> that is the next stage in, in Ronich's development is to figure out. He, he is already improving mentally. Like he doesn't collapse as much as he did in the past. That's natural with any athlete in age. He's never really been t- particularly a volatile player to begin with, but he's okay in that. But still when he's up against a guy like this, you can just see at a point where he just doesn't have that self-belief against those one through four uh, players in the world very often. Now he's not exactly in the minority in that though, right? These guys are at a different level. There still is a gap. And I maintain based on what I've seen so far this year, that uh, Milos is the one player that might be able to break through. Maybe not to number one anytime soon, but certainly uh, he might be able to get close to, uh, to, to maybe a Murray or, or to be able to, to catch Federer the, on the way down his hill.
0: No, absolutely. And to see the evolution of this season. So we've seen now that duel a couple of times this year, Drukovic and Roundnich. And Drukovic has come out the winner on a hard surface so far. Now it's going to eventually move to grass and move to clay. And we'll see if the advantage of Djokovic can be continued on those surfaces. Because depending on the time of day and all that, the ball bounces very differently on the ground of Wimbledon and Roland Garros. And especially when you have a serve like Milos. So maybe Wimbledon would be the place where Milos can bridge that gap a little bit. And maybe come out on top. We know Milos has a history of success in Wimbledon, will that be enough to to help his confidence? Because basically, that's what, we, that's what we're talking about now. It's that level. That's the difference.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, a lot of unforced errors of Milos. That's always sort of been his big issue when he's not playing well. And speaking the net. The net. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of unforced errors, let's move to the women's final. Uh, oh, Nice. Yeah. Nice segue. Kind of a bit of a, a hairball spit up by Serena. Second, uh, you know, obviously the Grand Slam final, there was issues there. But uh, in terms of her first 1000 final of, the, of this year, uh, for her to cough it up like that, too, was surprising because this is a woman who doesn't normally do that. Now, you have concerns. We'll say, and I'm just going to let you go now and voice those concerns. Exactly. I want to preface my, uh,
0: the, the words are going to come out of my mouth while I'm saying that this is just what my eyes have seen and a red flag has come up. Is there anything to what I'm saying? I don't know. Am I looking into it? you damn right I am. Have I found something yet? I'm looking into it. So we'll see. But the red flag that I see raised in my mind right now is if you're looking at the Australian Open final and Indian North finals for Serena Williams, the whole tournament, she dominates like there's no tomorrow. She barely drops a point, if not, like, not even talking about a set we're talking about a point. She barely drops any. And in the final, she loses in a fashion that is very uncharacteristic of her. Uh, two feet out of the back line in the net, uh, a lot of unforced errors, but when I say a lot, a lot, like on set points and on match point, two 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 feet outside in the back line, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. And it's just, that's the concern I'm raising, at least for me, is it, it's kind of weird that it's two major tournaments in a row, that in the final she loses to a major, major underdog, especially in the fashion that she did. When we all know the history of tennis over the last couple of years. So that's what I'm saying. And right now, I think it needs to be at least just observed that it's very, very weird the way she lost those two final matches.
1: It, it, look, tennis made its own bet in this particular case to have those doubts creep in, and, and certainly we see it in other sports, particularly soccer, where their doubts can creep in and can cause great harm to a sport. It's why it's so important to seriously take match fixing allegations and to not try and hide and not try and run uh, from those concerns. Cause, because even if, if she's just having a bad day, the fact is, because these allegations are up there, because they hid them for so long, there is natural suspicion around everything, and that's not necessarily fair to her or any athlete that may be having a bad day. Exactly,
0: yeah, it's true. I might be 100% wrong. If Serena, by any chance, I doubt it, but you are listening to this and you're probably screaming at your telephone right now, hey, if I'm wrong, all to you, and I apologize right away. But having watch and watch and covering and analyzing the amount of sports that I do, that's still the red flag that came up and that's what I'm saying.
1: All right. I'll play a bit of devil's advocate on, on the Serena front here and and throw it in another theory and I'll call it the boredom theory that it just might be a case that she's bored. She's so dominant at so many levels that she doesn't crank her intensity up her her desire up to that level that maybe her opponent does in a 1,000 final, in a Grand Slam final, that she's just not able to reach that other level and she kind of gets bored when she, she's getting pressed. When she doesn't get pressed early on in tournaments, I think a lot of the women that are matched up over there just don't have the self-belief at all. They go out and she's just able to technically be so dominant over them that that, that doesn't come into play. But in a final, when people are saying, you know what, I crank it up one day, it's, a, it's rare that I'm going to do it. But if I do it today, I'm a champion. That's a different level altogether.
0: And maybe she's trying to create that storyline to finally find a rival to make her side of a bracket more interesting too. We all know the biggest storyline ratings and interests in the tennis world when it happens and when big rivals exist. When Billie Jean King played Steffi Graf for the first time and it was important, a lot of people were watching. Monica Castellas played Steffi Graf when Monica Gonzalez was young, when it was passing of the torch, a lot of people were watching. If Serena can find that rival, that next superstar is going to push her. It's going to bring, unfortunately, women's tennis to higher level. But what I mean by unfortunately is, it's unfortunate that the storyline is not there now because Serena Williams is so dominant that she needs somebody else to help her, well, get rid of that boredom.
1: Yeah, and look, um, uh we do, and we've talked about this. We talked about a lot of this a lot in the Australian Open, that the women's game wasn't as compelling to us because there wasn't those natural competitive games throughout the tournament. Then she, you know, went and turned it on its side in the final, and that made things interesting. And maybe we need to pay more attention now but certainly it has suffered in recent years for not having sort of parity like well there's parity maybe below her but there's not necessarily parity at the top right like there's one dominant force and not a lot of not a lot of others now speaking of which this is a natural segue <laughs> and
0: Wait, wait. see that's how we need to say, that's how you need to say this so we should send the tape of this show to the director of the Indian Wells tournament cuz this is how you talk about women's tennis
1: all right raymond moore is the gentleman's name if you haven't heard it by now and of course uh, the comments he made today, where he basically <laughs> said that they would get down on their knees and thank the men every day, which is oh my god, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I was wondering
0: of, where he was going, and I was like, "Damn, really? Well, wow!"
1: Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Serena's credit. She did. I don't think any woman should be on her knees thanking men for anything, is what she said after the fact, and that, that's the right approach to be yes. forceful, to not give it too much credit credence, but to also just forcefully say it's wrong to say. And look, I mean. <sighs> There's no doubt that those attitudes are out there, and we'd be delusional if we didn't think that. And we've said to ourselves, and I was saying this conversation with my girlfriend today when it came out, and she was, as with many women in the world, she was pretty angry at this stuff. She's a sports fan, so she's on top of it. She knows all this stuff is going down. And I'm like, you know, had he just said that the women's game has suffered from a lack of rivalries in recently or that Djokovic and Federer, their rivalry is driving this sport forward, and and they're kind of right now the women's game is not – as interesting to people and that's a problem then you know if you say it in those terms as i just said then you're not being sexist you're being descriptive right but the problem is i don't think raymond moore was looking to be descriptive i think raymond moore based on what i heard today is sexist so it's kind of hard to get past that in which case you just have to go like at what world is this man living in that he thinks That he doesn't give his head a shake and thinks that he shouldn't say this stuff. Even if you think it, you sometimes shouldn't say it. Like, where is the filter, guys? (laughs) And we're talking about here the only other
0: tournament outside of the four Grand Slams that has women and the men playing at the same time on the same venue in whole of Tennis. And it's director of that tournament that says those comments? Maybe he shouldn't be director of that tournament anymore.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd thing. And look... The thing about it, too, and what I just said, it, it, it's, it's right. I think it is. The men's game is more compelling right now, um, but...
0: Com- not more attractive. More compelling. It's yeah. different.
1: In the past, however... I remember growing up during the height of the, you know, your Steffi Graf's and all those, the Monica Seles and, and that era there, there was a lot of great women's tennis that was out there. Major Fernandez. I'm thinking of all these players at the top of my head that, that were great, great players. And the women's game was very deep and very compelling at that particular point. It's a little before my time, but obviously the Chrissy and the, the Billie Jean King and Martina and all that era there is a massive part of the growth of tennis. And I, I think the Billie Jean King, did more for than almost anyone in America certainly to drive this sport and make it the mainstream uh, sport that it is in many parts of the United States. And, and the the Grand Slams became very popular. Obviously, the Battle of the Sexes back in the mid seventies. I just watched a documentary about that the other day. It's a fascinating sort of thing that really drove this sport forward. So, like to say that the women's game needs to thank the men for anything is to completely ignore the history of the game beyond anything else. Yeah and he's well exactly there's no other way to put
0: it and those comments were out of line out of place he immediately when the words came out of his mouth like trying to work his way around it but it's not just the words it's how you say it it's the complacency that was behind the words and the mannerism behind the words that actually raises troubles as well it's not just saying that the way he said it but it's the meaning the intent and literally the window into his mind, the window into his thinking that we saw on that podium in front of that microphone. And quite honestly, he should not be the director of Indian Wells going forward. It's that big of a faux pas. It's that big of a mistake. It's that big of a. Oh, I was going to say non-forward thinking, more of a, uh, well, twenties type of thinking. Even, even then, I think people in twenties were smarter. So uh, I think it's a mis- misogynistic type of thinking that has no place, especially in the position that he has in
1: 2016. Yeah, look, I don't. Let's move on from him, particularly. Exactly. Djokovic was also asked this about the part, the purses in-, in particular, and this is where you get conversations that are, are frustrating because the women's purses for the most part are, are lower and a part of that this is a complicated question and bear with me people in many ways because often Indian Wells is an exception so it's, it's irrelevant in Indian Wells they, they should be equal purses there because they're both coming in from the same pot it's both the same ticket sales it's all in the same venue now we're I do sort of understand it that if a women's tournament's drawing less revenue, less sponsorship, so on and so forth, it is difficult to j- have the ability to pay the same purses sometimes, and that's a problem for women's sport across the uh, across the board. I mean, I, I cover women's soccer, and I know they're very frustrated there because the women don't make anywhere close to men's salaries, and it has a lot to do with the revenues aren't generated, and there is a uh, school thought out there that believes that that organizations should supplement that, should pay above what the revenues dictate to be genderly fair. Um, it's a difficult question because you can't bankrupt sports too, right? It's, it's It gets very complicated. And I think Djokovic, he probably should have shut his mouth. Like there's no doubt. And the way he framed it was terrible. But I, I do understand that kind of financial argument. It's kind of cold, but I get it, Kevin. Yeah, there's
0: a certain part of Elitism, too, when we come to that higher up of tennis sometimes, it does shine through in the way they answer question. And the way Djokovic answered that question, well, that's how I interpreted it a little bit as well. It wasn't bad the way he answered it in a way that it wasn't uh, controversial, as Moore's comment. But it was in a way like... Well, you know, it's because we generate more attention. It's because there's more publicity. He's like, that's the reason behind it. But it's more complicated, more convoluted, it's more complex, and just we're draw, we're drawing them. And it, there's some uh, proportions that has to be kept. There's a lot of difference in some major tournament. Uh, I think uh, the most of them, if I'm not mistaken, maybe outside of the U.S. Open, has equal pay for the men and the women. So that is actually a step forward. But at least more tournament should. Have done the same thing in 2016 because, well, equal work, equal play, and it sounds stupid because it's 2016. I know it sounds stupid to say it's 2016. I know, but that's how I was raised, right?
1: So yeah, look, I, there's. We're, um, you know, of a generation younger than obviously Raymond Moore here. <laughs> Maybe a couple. <laughs> a Couple, yeah, like even even me. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's just it's baffling to us. It's beyond our expectation, and the world is changing. But I, I don't think it changes as, as quickly as many would like, and and certainly these comments today underline that, and and that's unfortunate because it takes away from again what was a, a very good uh, week of tennis. Uh, Indian Wells is always a, a great tournament. Uh, t- Sort of stuck in there. You you know you get your Aussie out of the way, and then there's a little bit of a lull, and then Indian Wells is kind of the second start of the season in many ways because it, it's pretty rapid fire from here, um you know into your clay season, and then the French, and obviously Wimbledon, and in the summer is, is crazy. Uh, leading off with the U.S. Open, and we have the Olympics this year as well, Kevin. Of course, as we've said many times before. All right, um the Sharapova stuff. We as we said, we talked a lot about this on Five Rings already, so I don't want to dwell on it a lot. We will mention it real briefly here, just quickly and succinctly put our positions out there for those that didn't hear that show. Look, she it, I don't care whether it was on. It was just on this list. There's no excuse to have anything that's on the banned substance list in your body one second after midnight the first day it's on the banned list, Kevin. And that's, that's my bottom line. I don't have a lot of gray in this one. It's black and white to me.
0: Notifications were sent. They were acknowledged and, well, procedures should have been taken. It's your own responsibility which you put in your own mouth or in your own body, depending uh, if it's uh, intravenously or if you eat it. So it is your responsibility to justify what you have in your body because, well, it's your body. You're the athlete. You're the one that's trying to... Prove a certain type of innocence or something, and when that is taken away, and when you're having the bad, the, the positive test, like Sharapova did, well, and you're trying to take other means, you're trying to do your own press conference, you're trying to sway people's opinion by not necessarily revealing all the facts. Well, there is going to be a backlash, and I just want to touch on Meldonium just for a second. People are keeping getting puff from meldonium it's a drug that has over 500 positive tests since the beginning of january in all sports combined since wada has it on his test so she's not alone there's a lot of people that have not acted accordingly to that test and well the bad the, the consequences of those positive should be clear because there's obviously a problem there
1: yeah, and it it wasn't a banned substance prior to this January, Kevin, but it should have been. It's clearly a, a it performance is performance enhancing drug, and that's the bottom line on this one.
0: And you know what? Uh, uh, there's a I think it was our friend Evan Dunphy, if I'm not mistaken, I might be, but I've seen this on Facebook this week, and an athlete that we both have collaborated before with that said that if A legal drug is more prevalent in in an elite athlete group than in the normal population. The normal intake of what an ill or sick population would take that medicine for, there's a problem there. And that is not legal anymore. It's just the, the attitude towards taking that substance itself should be considered enough to be a bad substance because, well, it's the principle as well of taking something that helps you get better. Is it legal or not? But it's the principle of, look, I'm taking this pill here because it makes me a better athlete. This is the principle that we don't want. Not the fact that this pill is okay and this pill is not okay. And that's sort of the feeling that's coming out as well out of this story.
1: All right. As we said, Five Rings is where we covered this in, in a lot more detail than we did today. But certainly uh, the attitudes that we just expressed were expanded upon in that show with a lot more detail on the drug itself and, and sort of why it's a problem and, and so on and so forth. So we encourage you to go listen to that if you're interested in more. I uh, just want to do a short, t- short little touch in touch base today with Game Set Podcast. Uh, Indian Wells, uh, as I said, sort of establishes the, uh, the the spring season. It's first day of spring here uh, in in the western world in the northern in the northern hemisphere so uh good times good times and the good weather's coming kevin we'll probably come back just before the french open for another one of these shows but uh i'll let you uh give your final thoughts and then say goodbye stay tuned to
0: sports podcasting network for all your sports audio need and until then have a great tennis folks listening to spn the sports podcasting network visit us sportspodcastingnetwork.com